Welcome to Converge Coffee. I'm Sean Sullivan. Um, I'm here with Jack Paxton. He is uh, part of Paxton Projects, which uh, helps uh, people scale um, paid advertising channels at a positive ROI for brands and companies. Um, Jack's background is uh, he uses this online paid media channels like Facebook, Pinterest, and AdWords. He's helped small startups to large companies managing or large companies managing spends from 100 a day to as large as 100K per day. Um, welcome, Jack. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Sean? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, thanks for being on again. We were talking about Viper, uh, one of our previous episodes, and now we're talking about uh, when we got in further conversation about packs and projects. And I just saw, like, how does, how does someone manage 100K per day? We can get to that question later, but I think the – the first question is, is uh, how did you get started in online advertising? Yeah, so just a bit of a background on, I suppose, the journey to where I ended up was, uh, you know, sort of started in agencies, like a lot of people who sort of end up in my position. So started in agencies as a project manager and then quickly found out that I didn't like project management that much. Uh, so then I swapped over to... Uh, sort of like search, search ads. So started off with Google. This was about six years ago or something. Uh, so started with Google search and then obviously Facebook was coming up then. So then also jumped on Facebook very early, like five, five years ago or something. So got into search and social pay channels because, uh, you know, it was much easier paying for traffic than it was doing the SEO game. We had, uh, I was in an agency that really was focusing on building websites and then also doing the SEO for those websites. And then I sort of started that new division of paid social for that agency back in Australia, uh, hence the accent. So sort of started there and then from that agency, jumped over to America, did uh, worked in one or two agencies here and then moved into full-time sort of consulting. And uh, that's where I kind of split my time between uh, Facebook ad and acquisition consulting and then Viber. Awesome. And what do you what do you mean what do you mean here? Like in the states, like where specifically? Yeah, so I'm based in Los Angeles. Uh, it's it's the closest uh, city in the U.S. to Australian cities. <laughs> so there's a lot of Australians here. <laughs> That's awesome. So can you, here's here's a question for you. What's the difference between um, doing paid advertising for companies, agencies in Australia versus LA? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. And, you know, part of one of the big reasons why I am in America, I think, uh, the opportunity is a lot bigger in America when you look at the sort of media spends. Uh, so if you have a company in Australia, they may be uh, putting together their advertising budget and their advertising budget might be, I don't know, maybe like $10,000 for the month. And so with that, you can't really do a huge amount if you're trying to really scale a business. Um, you know, no matter what the ROI is, they're very conservative in Australia. So there was always going to be a cap on scaling and growth and, uh, you know, sky high achievements. And then when you come, when I came over to America, that when you started like doing budgeting and figuring out advertising spends, we were looking into like the millions of dollars per month. And so that really opens up a huge amount of opportunity to scale companies and get huge results. Um, I would say the American market is a lot, uh, 
a lot more risky in terms of they're willing to spend and test uh, at the chance of there being a loss just to make the progress in learning. So I think the biggest difference between those two cultures is that, yeah, Australian companies are very conservative, which is probably, probably why they have much smaller spends and slower growth rates than American companies, which seem to be open to spending large, large amounts of dollars on learning and then obviously iterating from those learnings to turn their companies extremely profitable. And, you know, once you start seeing really high uh, sort of return on investment, uh, American companies are much more likely to be a lot more aggressive uh, with the type of funding that they can offer. Uh, there's not as many fun, uh, funding organizations or angel investors and that sort of thing in Australia backing companies. That's awesome. So, you know, my first question is two-parter here. Um, how much have you spent overall in the six years for clients? And then the second thing is, you're telling about, you know, how uh, we Americans over here are a little bit more riskier. <laughs> um <laughs> And, and fail fast quickly. Um, but um, so first, how much you spend for clients in the last six years? And the second one, what have you learned um, in the market for online in the advertising space that you kind of want to share with other people, um, you know, so they can, they can help with their learning curves? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm going to have to give you a ballpark estimate, but it's probably – it's probably between like 100 and 150 million on unpaid on paid channels. So that's like Facebook, AdWords, Pinterest, um, Reddit, all those sort of channels. So the spend level is pretty high. Um, obviously, that's been over a range of clients. But yeah, I would say that's probably a rough estimate. Uh, I've never really crunched the numbers to find out the sort of exact amount. But uh, yeah, and in terms of the second half of the question, some, some key learnings that I've taken away uh, that are sort of transferable, uh, uh, you know, number one is always use data to make your decisions. Um, there's a lot of people who go into media buying or paid acquisition and they think they know what works. They think they know the persona that their customer is. They think they know the interests and the keywords that are going to convert. Um, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to the data and what you expect isn't always the case uh, in terms of results. So number one learning there is just always be testing and don't ever assume uh, that something's going to work. You, know, you always want to test something to then validate it and then scale it. Um, I see a lot of people trying to uh, sort of run Facebook ads and just guess what their target audience should be. Um, so yeah, number one is to do, always be testing. Number two is definitely to spend your time creating quality ads. Uh, I see a lot of advertisers as well out there just sort of putting together any type of ad that they can to just get it out quickly. But it's really worth the time to invest in creating a quality ad that you can run for six months as opposed to running uh, as creating low, low or mediocre ads that you can only run for you know a few weeks. Um, the the time and investment for spending, you know, a little bit of extra time creating and crafting ads definitely pays off in the long run. Um, so always be testing uh, new ads that are of high quality, especially leading into 2018 where places like Facebook are getting extremely, um, they're getting a lot more strict on the type of content people are putting in ads. It's moving towards an AdWords sort of role where, you know, there's restricted words, restricted captions, 
uh, or caps lock on text and all that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm predicting that Facebook's going to get a lot more strict and the quality of the ads on Facebook are definitely going to have to improve uh, for them to sort of keep, keep growing. Uh, and unfortunately, I think Facebook is probably going to get a little bit more expensive as they, they make all these changes to the newsfeed and really want to focus on community and engagement um, as opposed to monetization. So I would say, yeah, that's number one. N num number two learning is definitely spend that extra time proofreading, crafting the copy, uh, choosing the images. Uh, number three is probably try and use the richest media you can. So when you have the choice to use image or video, try going with video first and then image. Um, if you can't create a video, create slideshows or GIFs or anything that's a little bit more animated because you can get a lot more out in terms of uh, sort of defining what your ad or product is about through a video than you can through a, an image. Um, so yeah, I would say those three tips are a good place to start. So you just reminded me of, of a movie, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Alec Baldwin, when he's like, says, always be closing ABC. Um, when he said, <laughs> always be testing. That's what it reminded me of as the marketer standpoint. Is it, I mean, we're, we're online advertisers. We have, we can't be, we can't close, but we can advertise to the right, you know, to the right people. And uh, mm. that, that that was just made me funny. Just made me laugh of uh, when you, when you mentioned that. But um, yeah, I, I've, <laughs> I've noticed. But that's a really good point that a lot of people are like, I don't have time to make a video, or and I mean, there's there's more things out there now where you can make videos, and, and the quality might not be as great as an actual video camera. But you know, if you have a video or, or even a you know, using Giphy or something like that, that that's a really smart option too, because that's open source. You can use it. People are kind of afraid. And then, and then, then try images. So, you know, thank you for that. Like that, those little points there, because I don't think people kind of realize, and even me, not even realize um, on the advertising standpoint. Um, and then you and I know about the advertising that uh, Google, that kind of stuff, you know what people are searching for, but you don't know who they are. And then Facebook, you you hit upon, you know, you know who they are, but you don't know what they're searching for. So, you know, the Google Power Editor and stuff like that, you can find the data to, to find who you're searching for without it before even jumping into it. So hmm. kind of flipping gears here, just going the long winded right here, but flipping gears here um, from 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 search over to Facebook specifically. Can you cut? Can you kind of give some takeaways specifically for Facebook um, to kind of help people? Because some people are like, "Oh, Facebook doesn't work." Like Noah Kagan's getting off of it because he's seeing a downward <laughs> ticket in traffic. You know, what would you go in and saying to Noah or to say to someone else that you know Facebook is still a viable option and why? Yeah, so I think uh, the main difference between Facebook and and Google is that Google are people searching for solutions and intent. So they have a problem, they search for the answer using text to find that solution. So it's very much, um, it's very competitive with uh, advertisers and companies competing to have that ad up the top of that list of solutions. Whereas Facebook is a little bit more different. You don't, you're not necessarily searching for a solution when you're consuming content on Facebook. You're actually just looking for interesting things. And so Facebook is great if you are you have a new product or something, or you're just showing off the features and benefits of your product. Now you're not necessarily saying, "Hey, I have this problem? I have a solution." You're saying, "Hey, this is really cool. You should check it out." 
And so people need to remember, especially with the larger companies, that a lot of people don't just purchase on the first uh, sort of touch point. So Facebook is very much a, a sort of like an upper funnel channel, whereas Google would be a much lower lower section of the funnel. And, uh, you know, up until now, you have been able to get away with Facebook being the entire channel pretty much. Uh, but yeah, I think as, as as more advertisers enter, as the uh, market gets a little bit more crowded on Facebook, you do need to do a better job at explaining what your product does, the benefits of it, so to try and encourage someone to click through and learn more about it. So I definitely think Facebook is actually a better platform moving forward for advertising because you can have so many more uh, opportunities to show off your product. So you've got images, videos, you've got huge amounts of text, you can do long form ads, short form ads. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity in Facebook, whereas AdWords is very limited. You know, you have your text amount, you have your title amount, and that's pretty much it. Um, you know, you don't have a huge amount of flexibility in the type of ad you can show or uh, how you can show it. So I think Facebook, you need to get a lot more creative with your ad types and it's much more scalable, but uh, AdWords is definitely sort of uh, problem and solution-based search, So, which has its issues because only so many people search for a problem a month. So you can't really scale AdWords as well as you can Facebook. So, for example, if you were on Facebook, you created an ad of, for example, say the fidget spinners. So some guy probably created an ad on the fidget spinner and then he was able to scale that to millions of people and made huge amounts of money. Whereas if you were advertising on Google AdWords with a fidget spinner, before we knew about the fidget spinner, no one's searching for buy a fidget spinner. So it's a lot easier to sort of scale and go viral on Facebook than it is on AdWords, if that makes sense. Well, that makes perfect sense. And uh, this kind of leads to the next thing that a lot of people miss about advertising. It's just not sending things out. And uh, you always have to always, always be testing ABT. <laughs> but um, people forget, people forget, especially, um, you know, we can, we can talk about Google or we can talk about Facebook. I think Facebook is more specific. It's the Facebook pixel. I think you and I were talking about the advantages of that. Can you kind of talk about not only reaching a broader audience and the advantages of Facebook in that sense. But how does a face, what is, what is a Facebook pixel to the converge coffee audience and what are some of the advantages? Yeah. So essentially the Facebook pixel is a line of code or a few lines of code that you put on your website. And this is collecting information on people who visit your website um, and then feeding that information back to Facebook. So the benefit of this is that Facebook then matches that visitor to their Facebook profile. And that Facebook profile is, you know, so rich in information on that person. So it helps you identify the type of person that is much easier. So you can see what they like, um, pages they follow, ages, demographics, all that sort of stuff. So you can get a pretty pretty in-depth persona of the people that are visiting your website using that Google Pixel. <laughs> now, the second benefit of the, uh, sorry, not Google Pixel, Facebook Pixel. Now, the second benefit of the Facebook Pixel is that you are using that for tracking. So that Facebook Pixel will also send back information to Facebook when you're running ads to say this person converted from this ad. So this 
uh, gives you a huge amount of accuracy in your testing because you can see exactly what type of people are converting from what type of ads. So this really allows you to get a lot more granular with your advertising and uh, really serve up more tailored messaging to the type of people that you're serving and sort of segments or personas of the types of people who are visiting your website and purchasing from your website. So the Facebook Pixel is really uh, a great tool for one, learning about your audience, and then two, tracking your uh, success with Facebook ads. Um, so it's very important to make sure that you've added that correctly to your website. Shopify does an awesome job at uh, integrating it. So all you have to do is add your ID. And then WordPress, you can just install a uh, install a plugin. I know Facebook's made a plugin. Also, AdExpresso made a plugin. And both of those work pretty well and you don't have to have any development skills. But if you're getting started with Facebook, the first thing you should be doing is adding your Facebook pixel to your website. Um, because you can use that pixel to give you information about the types of people that are visiting your website and the types of people that are actually buying from your website. That's, thanks again. I mean, Jack, it's always been awesome with, uh, you, I mean, you spent, you spent a lot of money understanding all of this, but if you look back on what's working, what's not, what's the technical capabilities of everything, but also the strategy out of it. And I, I really want to know, you know, more so, um, can you kind of get, you know, give any, like, it's an interesting client story. You, you don't have to tell who they are or anything, but some, some learning stories of, you know, some learning curve stories that you've made and then some great stories and some great outcomes out of that. Because, I mean, everybody talks about how great they are or how successful they are. But I just saw, like, a video of Will Smith saying, you know, successful people fail a lot more than unsuccessful people. And they just keep driving until they, they, they get it right. Can you, um, with your successes, can you kind of, you know, share some stories about um, some things with clients that, um, you know, you're like, holy crap, like, you know, there's, here's an opportunity we missed, and then here's how we capitalized on it. Or, you know, can you share anything about that? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, obviously the more money you spend, the more experience you get. So you can roll over those learnings from accounts. But, um, but yeah, so, I would say, you know, some, some key learnings uh, from successes and failures are uh, probably number one is, you know, when I first started out, I was not testing creatives as aggressively as I may do now. And I was sort of making more assumptions as into what the ideal persona is by asking clients. Now, clients have a good idea about who they're, sort of uh, target market is, but a lot of the times they don't have access to all of the tools that you have. So in terms of looking at Facebook audience insights and all that sort of stuff. So I would say my, one of my big mistakes early on was not using that data that Facebook was making available to me uh, to then create more tailored and targeted ads. Um, the other thing that I see a lot of people doing is uh, not really segmenting their Facebook account into uh, the different types of traffic. So you have hot traffic, warm traffic, cold traffic. Now, the hot traffic is usually any sort of remarketing. So it's if someone's abandoned their car, they've looked at a product or they've visited your website. Um, you know, they're a very hot audience because they have a high chance of converting when you remarket to them. So that's usually where you want to start off when you start running your ads. 
and you want to have specific messaging that's going to appeal to those people that are already aware of your brand, the benefits of your products. So you can sort of include that in your ad copy. Now, uh, the next section, which would be the warm audience, I find on Facebook extremely scalable, which is the data-driven audiences, which is all of the lookalike audiences. So that's when Facebook takes a, uh, a you know a segment of data or a seed audience and then goes and finds similar people um, on Facebook that match your criteria and attributes from your seed audience. So this is kind of a warm audience because you're using data from the that Facebook pixel again to then create audiences that are, are going to be similar to the people that you're already targeting. So that's a little bit warmer of an audience because you know they're similar to people that you're already targeting, but they still are unaware of your brand. So you definitely need to make sure you're still explaining what you do, why you do it, and why they should care. Uh, and then obviously you move into the cold prospecting traffic. This is traffic that you're just targeting based off interests. There's no data-driven uh, audiences being built. It's just pure interest and demographic targeting. Uh, now, this is good for uh, sort of scaling accounts. If you can find, it's kind of like gold digging. If you can test, you know, say 50 audiences and then two or three of those work and you scale those two or three and then you test your next 50. Um, so it's very similar. It's sort of like gold mining and finding those right audiences that connect with your messaging and your product. And for each of those stages, those cold, warm, and uh, hot traffic, you need to have different messaging and different ads. Because if you're just running the same ad for all three of those audiences, it's not really going to encourage people to keep moving up the funnel or down the funnel because you're just showing the same messaging, the same boring thing over and over again, no matter where they are in that funnel. So that's definitely one huge mistake that uh, a lot of people do make, especially early on. They try and use the same ad across all of those segments of their funnel. Um, so I would say that's probably the biggest learning. Um, you know, a big mistake I made was, you know, uh, I suppose one of the bigger mistakes was when I'm trying to scale uh, a lot of the time early on, I was very conservative with my spend and I was looking at, you know, a direct, you know, one day ROI, which is uh, kind of like short side because what you don't understand is that uh, when you're starting out is that, you know, even though you might not be converting people on that first interaction, uh, that person still has learned about your brand and still has 28 days in the attribution cycle to convert for that conversion to be tracked in Facebook. So even though you might not be, sorry, even though you might not be uh, actually uh, converting someone on the uh, first interaction, you still have days after where you can convert those people. So attribution is also very important when you're looking at your advertising spend because you need to see how long you can go before you have to make money from that person. Does Man, that make sense? You're given some, such, yeah, you're given so much you know, wealth of information of going from hot, you know, hot, warm, cold to attribution. It's just not just send it out there and keep testing and all that kind of stuff. It's that, you know, what are you testing, right? And then you know, what creative is going to what channels. I mean, that that's uh, going back to, and I think people kind of forget that when they uh, switch over to pay that you kind of still have to use the same trap, but, you know, you know, ideas that you would for organic, like, you know, content for something that would go to a CEO would be, wouldn't be the same as if it would go to um, like a marketing specialist. 
um, and people kind yeah, of forget yeah. that. Um, so, um, thanks for like, thanks for answering all my questions. And now we're, you know, coming to the episode part of the episode where, um, you know, people, I, you know, I always talk, want to talk about the speaker and learn about them. And I, and I, and I want my audience and the audience, whoever it is to learn more about you. So yes, you have, you know, passion projects and you're, you're working on Viper, which we had on a previous episode. So, I mean, you know, I love where you, you want to, you basically want to grow online businesses, either through paid or unpaid, through SaaS product, through, a, you know, through, a, you know, being a, you know, a paid acquisition specialist or however you ever want to like label it. But um, what do you do creatively, you know, that you bring back to work and, and that you do in life that, that gives you inspiration to go back and, and you know, help? handle these big account like these big spending accounts <laughs> yeah so you know it's definitely you know you, you need to have a, a work-life balance i suppose so you need to sort of have uh you know a time where you can chill outside i, I travel a lot um to get little breaks and then obviously you come back with a much fresher mind on creative ideas on how to better craft a sales funnel, how to better craft ads, or whatever it may be, because you can get stuck if you just do day after day after day and you don't stop and think uh, and look at your accounts from you know ten thousand feet. You do get stuck doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, so it's super important to sort of take a step back sometimes and then just look at the bigger picture. So that definitely helps me sort of reset sometimes when I'm traveling, um, and you know also keeping a healthy healthy balance like going to the gym surfing all that sort of stuff um that also keeps your mind fresh because i find that you can get very fatigued if you just sit at a computer for you know 12 hours a day and you um you know you will struggle to get creative when, when you do that um when you sort of you know release endorphins through physical exercise and stuff that also refreshes and resets your body and that'll also help you uh, you know be a little creative when you come back to work and that sort of thing so I definitely think a huge part of, uh, you know, media buying is being creative and coming up with new ways to sell stuff, uh, new ads, new ways to craft ads, new ways to use audiences and all that sort of stuff. And it's very hard to do if you don't stop, have a break, and uh, sort of reset sometimes. So you, so you answered my other question. <laughs> I was going to ask is, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good, it, you have to balance yourself of being, um, you know, what do you do health-wise? I mean, balance. And, you know, you and I, we, you know, we're, we're kind of kindred spirits in that of um, not only with paid acquisition and that kind of stuff, but going to the gym or taking the stairs instead of the elevator. But can you kind of give some wisdom of, I think, so? just right when you wake up in the morning, how do you get your mindset into, you know, you know, your health is your, your, your ultimate wealth? <clears throat> Definitely. Uh, so, you know, I try and get up uh, usually around 6.45 or 7. Uh, as soon as you get up, drink a ton of water because <laughs> that kind of like, uh, you know, you've been sleeping for a while, so you're probably pretty dehydrated. So I drink a ton of water when I get up. And uh, I usually, you know, make myself a smoothie or something, um, get in that 20 grams of protein within the first hour of waking up. And then I like to crush uh, maybe three or four hours before people get to work. Um, that sort of gives you sort of, sort of some uninterrupted time to actually get some stuff done. 
you find that the first half of your day is a lot more productive than your second half of the day. Uh, so if you can put in the important tasks and the critical tasks early on in your day, uh, you're going to have much more productive days. So I try and yeah, do a few hours of work before before people get in, uh, you know, around the nine or something. And then, you know, because I am in Los Angeles, everything's about avoiding rush hour. <laughs> so I'll try and, you know, get a gym session in somewhere between 11 and 2 p.m., 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. Uh, to sort of like break up my day a little bit. Uh, and then finish off the day after that gym session and, uh, and then, you know, keep working on and try and, uh, you know, take breaks every you know, half hour to an hour or something, whether it's just getting up to get a drink, some food, uh, or just having a walk is on your, uh, while you're taking a phone call, that sort of stuff also helps. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I try to try to break up my day and, uh, keep myself relatively <laughs> active, I suppose. I just learned your point from you of just kind of breaking up the day because I'm usually, you know, working out in the morning and then I go in and, you know, yeah, you're right. The first half of the day and that's where I have the most important meetings. That's where I get my writing, my ideas out. And then the rest of the stuff, is just kind of um, almost on autopilot in a sense where I'm just testing stuff out and it doesn't involve the strategy. But I like where you broke up the day there where you're saying, I just need to break up the day to take a walk, which the problem here in Indiana is is that it's been super cold in LA. You've got the luxury of it being warm most of the time. So, <laughs> so you're basically telling yeah, a lot of people, well, hey, move to, move to warmer weather. <laughs> it can so, even just be a walk around your house. <laughs> well, dude, if it's negative 10, when it has been in the beginning of this year, I don't think, I think I'd be frozen like halfway around the house. <laughs> so if I don't have the proper proper layers on and everything. So, you know, Jack, you know, thanks for, thanks for answering my questions and, and talking about Paxton projects and your background and letting people get to know you. Um, it's always been, it's always enjoy. Um, I really thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Um, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're obviously going to have, you know, you know, have you, I'm going to have you on, you know, more converged coffee episodes as you know, you build out, you know, do things, interesting things with Paxton projects and build out Viper. Um, but uh, for this episode, I, I really appreciate it. And I thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me, Sean. It's, uh, it's been fun. So this wraps up another episode of converged coffee. I hope every enjoy, everybody enjoyed it. 